0: Our meditation for this Good Friday is on our Gospel reading, John chapter 19. Hear the word of our Lord. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in an Aramaic, Gabatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king! They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the Place of a Skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken. And again another scripture says, They will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Pity poor Pontius Pilate. Imagine being in authority, the kind of authority that bears the sword and kills criminals. Imagine being presented with someone you know is innocent, because you've met plenty of guilty people at this point, so you know the difference. But crowds of angry, deluded people are screaming for their personal enemy to be destroyed. If you do not execute the man they hate, they have threatened to take action against you, claiming that it is treason against your superior to refuse shedding this innocent blood. Making matters worse, your soldiers, men who represent your authority to everyone in the land, they have made a mockery of this prisoner, beating him, insulting him, pushing thorns into his head and wasting valuable, costly material to dress him in a robe that none of them could afford. Your men are fine with this execution, gleeful even to cooperate with the murderous crowd, and to stay their hand would weaken your stance as leader. If you say no, then there very well may be a soldier looking for a promotion that would jump at the charge of treason and take your head back to the capital as a hero. At this point, Pontius Pilate had ruled over Judea for seven years, and to make it work, he had to gain a reputation as inflexible, stubborn, and cruel, as Philo of Alexandria describes him. He had to tear through crowds of rebellious protesters, raid the treasury of the local temple, set soldiers in plain clothes to beat seditious enemies to death with clubs, and a whole host of other ruthless activities. When he took this office up, his contemporaries warned him about the cantankerous people he would be governing, and boy, were they right. He had to rule with so little pity because the natives required force to be shown who is boss. His ten year rule was marked by constant bickering, intrigue, and scheming. People in Judea were always trying to undermine or destroy Pontius Pilate, and the response to their plots for seven years at this point was Roman strength firmly applied to their skulls. Finally, though, in this moment, they got him. With the cry of, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend, the subjects finally pulled it off, got him in a corner, and were able to force the procurator to do whatever they wanted. And what is it they demand? They could have forced him to lower the crushing, oppressive taxes laid on their people. They could have won greater freedom with their blackmail by having Pilate remove some of the garrisons of Roman soldiers strewn throughout the land. They could have had him allocate more resources away from the Samaritans, their longtime enemies, and brought more assistance to their own people. Did they demand anything that would have been expedient for their own? Did they ask for pardon for the unfairly imprisoned? No. They wanted this man Jesus dead. All these years resisting the Romans and in this moment of golden opportunity when they could have asked for anything they wanted in exchange for permitting Jesus to live, their sole demand after putting Pilate between a rock and a hard place was that he should kill the Lord Jesus. There was nothing they wanted more. They could have said, you can let this Jesus go free, but if you don't want us reporting you to Caesar, you will do us some favors. But they did not. The world was their oyster that day. They put everything on the line, and at the payoff, they cash in their chips by demanding the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Need I repeat myself any more? But why, you might ask? Why would they commit this grave injustice? demanding his death with no warrant. Beloved, you did not kill Jesus. He died for your sins, but it was this motley bunch that arranged his death. It was their sins, not yours, that put him on that cross. For some, it was jealousy as the crowds which followed Christ were immense, and they feared the people who were more than willing to replace them with Jesus and the apostles. For others, it was the anger at the way he cast down their false teachings, their worship of their own law and their race, and their additions to the scriptures. Many were former followers, like those who left Christ after the 5,000 were fed. They wanted a king that would kill their enemies, and they were severely disappointed that he refused to fit their personal mold. For temple authorities, the way he publicly turned over those money changers' tables meant that their livelihoods were under attack. The only way they could see to make a profit out of openly betraying their people by becoming tax collectors was money-changing in usury, and Jesus threatened that. Others, especially in the camp of the Sadducees, were terrified that the Romans would get itchy trigger fingers at the potential uprising from thousands of Jesus' followers, and they wanted to keep their fragile peace going as long as it could. Though he never sinned, not even once, almost... Everyone from this region wanted our Lord Christ dead, except for his mother and Pontius Pilate. Christ was the perfect scapegoat, literally so, as they were willing to yell, away with him, away with him, in the face of Pilate's protest. Jesus got under their skin, burst their every bubble, and showed them why they too were sinners just like the outsiders. In the Old Testament, what happened when the children of Israel sinned? We note that in the wilderness, when they complain and grumble against Moses, there is swift and almost merciless punishment. They build the golden calf. Thousands are slaughtered. They go after the heresy of Balaam and marry Moabite wives. They are slaughtered. They scream in Moses' face and suddenly asps come out to bite them and poison them. And so on and so forth, going into the exiles and the conquests against them in the book of Judges. And every single time God raises up a Deliverer, the moment he's dead, they go right back to rebellion and right back to punishment. In the era of kings, when there was much more structure, and God wanted to demonstrate something, He did not always punish them immediately for their sins, but warned them with prophet after prophet to say, do not do this. Do not engage in Asherah worship. No more Baal worship. Stop putting your sons through the fire. And they did not listen, but they were warned. Elijah cries out in front of Ahab, there will be no rain. Isaiah tells the northern Israelites you are going into exile, you will be dispersed and no more under the crushing arm of the Assyrians. Jeremiah says the Babylonians are coming, the Babylonians are coming, they're going to destroy the temple, not one stone is going to be left on top of the other. They had fair warning, do not do this. But during this time, But though Christ tells the future in the first century, he doesn't speak of the same turn-back-now stakes that the Old Testament prophets had. It does not take the flavor, so to speak, of dire warning. In fact, he hardly even tells them, you seek to kill me, in John chapter 8. To the contrary, he lets them do it. He goes to the cross, willingly, knowing full well that this is going to be the most unjust, outrageous, wicked, and ugly murder in all of history. That anyone would have the very gall to crucify the very son of God himself. He goes there willingly. I have to ask the question, does it matter Who killed Jesus? The guilty party certainly has to answer to God for that action, but to me, does it matter who killed Jesus? Because whoever did, he went willingly. He suffered that injustice. He went through that insult knowing that this would be for a greater. Cause. The enemies of our God had no clue what would result from the crucifixion of our Lord, the forgiveness of everyone's sins. As he bled on that cross, taking the wrath. That we deserve. The Father in heaven turning his face away from him. Going through greater suffering so much so that the pericardial fluid in his heart expands and presses against it. That water in that blood that signifies his purity also tells us that his heart had exploded from the pain, pressure, and sorrow from taking your punishment taking my punishment. He went willingly knowing that far more suffering was going to happen on that cross than anybody else that has ever been crucified or even died with any sort of pain in history, taking far worse than any human being could ever reasonably bear. Pity poor Pontius Pilate, who likely would have been crucified for sedition if he did not become party to this unjustified killing. But regarding our Lord Christ, rejoice, rejoice that he went through this for you knowing that your suffering over an eternity in the lake of fire would be more than you would ever imagine. Regarding the pain, the burning, the sting, the guilt, the loneliness, every last bit of suffering a human being could potentially go through, going on forever and ever and ever. And our Lord Jesus says, I'm not going to let you go through that. Trust in me. I have gone through pain and wrath on your account. What you deserve, I have taken from you. And I invite you to live on account of my death. Trust me, your Savior, for this. That is why we call it Good Friday. The wrath that is meant for us is removed because our Lord Jesus Christ took it for us. This is a good thing. This is something to rejoice over. And we understand that for the injustice that our Lord Jesus suffered, well, he was crowned king of all creation. There is a resurrection to look forward to. But we'll discuss that on Easter morning, and it'll be good. Let us trust Christ. Now the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.